Well, hello, it's Pastor Carson from Calvary Tabernacle. Thanks for stopping by the podcast. We hope that it's a blessing to you, whether you're catching one of the Sunday or Wednesday messages, or maybe you're jumping on to listen to one of the Saturday snapshots. We're doing everything we can right here in the beautiful Fountain Square area of Indianapolis to try to reach and connect and disciple people towards Jesus Christ. Enjoy what you listen to, and I hope that it's a benefit to your life. I want to talk to you for just a couple moments. I won't preach long today, but just a couple moments. If we could pull my slide up. I want to read from the book of Joshua, chapter 14. And we're going to go at verse 9. A familiar portion of scripture, I know. 14, verse 9, it says, Moses swear on that day, saying, Surely the land whereon thy feet have trodden shall be thine inheritance and thy children's forever. Because thou hast wholly followed the Lord my God. This is not a time to pause or try and find factions of our faith that could perhaps be discarded to be more modernized in this end time hour. We must wholly follow the things of the Lord. For the promise to come to fruition, we must wholly and with totality follow the things of the Lord. Verse 10 says, And now behold, the Lord hath kept me alive. And he said these forty and five years, even since the Lord spake this word unto Moses, while the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness, And now, lo, I am this day fourscore and five years old. Caleb, at his 85-year-old advanced state, he'd seen some things, he's gone through some things, but he says this declarative statement that ought to be the motto of the church. And yet I am strong this day as I was in the day that Moses sent me. As my strength was then, even so is my strength now for war. It wasn't by coincidence, Brother Henderson, that you chose the songs that you chose. The lyrics supported the word of God this morning that the church's function must always be to fight for the lost. There's a prodigal out there right now that they may not be here today, but I promise you this, they feel the presence of the Lord in their life. They just don't know what to do with it yet. But the church's function must not be to perform and to satisfy and appease the flesh. But when they come in the door, the church has to know what it is to fight for them. He goes on and he says, as my strength was then, even so my strength now for war, both to go out and to come in. And verse 12 will be the title of my message today. And he says, now, therefore, give me this mountain whereof the Lord spake in that day. For thou heardest that the day the Anakims were there and that the cities were great and fenced. If so be the Lord will be with me, then I shall be able to drive them out. As the Lord said, now, therefore, now I'm going to pause here because I know how to feel a little, a little something when people get to this point. And I know what's in some of your minds as parents right now. I prayed for my kid for decades. I prayed for my family member for years. I've talked to them. I've counseled with them. I've loved on them. And it doesn't seem like we're any closer. In fact, Brother Souders, sometimes it seems like our efforts push them further away. But we've got to have the spirit of Caleb here today because there's salvation. There's souls at stake. And Caleb had the audacity to say when he came through the wilderness, he said, I'm I'm going to fight today because I'm as strong today as I was 40 years ago. And you're going to give me this mountain. I'm not going to leave until I come into the presence of the Lord. I'm not going to give up on them. I might have come against some things. I might have faced some, I might have wandered a little bit, a little while. But you're going to give me this mountain, Brother Hunter. You're going to give me this moment in the presence of the Lord. I will not be denied. I will not be discouraged. I will not be deterred because the...
Caleb was a tremendous man. Now, if we go back uh, into the encounter that happened when the Israelites were on the verge of the promise, we know that the Lord sent them out and said, you need to espy the land. You need to analyze it. You need to look upon it. You need to determine some things about the battle. And the Israelites came back. We know the story very well. Ten came back with an evil report. Two came back with a report of faith. But what's interesting is I don't think that the Lord sent them there to try to come up with a military battle or a military uh, 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 structure. I don't believe that it was about strategizing. I don't believe that it was about trying to come up with a plan, a game plan. This is how we're going to have, this is the 12 points we're going to execute revival. These are the 12 points we're going to come in. No, what the Lord was trying to do, I believe, Brother Lopez, was trying to send them to see the fruit of the land so that they could come back and say, you're never going to believe how beautiful and glorious this place is. You're never going to believe what God could do for us. You're never going to believe what God could do in our families and our homes. The, the, the report wasn't to come back. It wasn't to come back in a moment and say, well, it's impossible. Well, our military is not strong enough. Well, we're never going to be able to do it. No, he was, they went so that they could come back and have a great report of the provision of the land. But what's interesting is not only did they say that it's, it's occupied by a great adversary, but they also reported, Pastor Carson, that it was a land that devoured its inhabitants. It was like a COVID was plaguing the land. Many theologians believe that what was designed in the land and designated in the land was a, was a, a pandemic of sorts. They went and they saw the fruit of the land, the milk and the honey and the provision and all that that land had to offer. But then they also look and they perceive that the giants and that the great adversary that was there to conquer them was falling down one by one. And they said, there's something about the promised land that's designed to consume its inhabitants. And then they began to not just identify their adversaries, but they began to look at the promises of God and said, there might be something wrong with this. Come on, when God promises you that your son or daughter is going to come back, it's easy for you to take a pause and say, well, I don't know because of this. It's a land that's designed to occupy its inhabitants. No, what you've got to do is say, even though, Brother Watkins, it seems impossible, even though it seems unlikely, even though they curse me at the Thanksgiving table, even though they mock my love for holiness, God gave me a promise. And if it's a promise of God, it's yes and amen. It's not yes and no. It's not some middle ground. It's not lukewarm. If God spoke revival into the hearts and lives of our families, it's just a matter of time. Well, Brother Barber, 2020 has been weird. So what? Well, we got to come to church with masks. So what? The hand of the Lord has not been dis diminished. His strength hasn't been deterred. His reach hasn't been shortened somehow just because of pandemics and, and corruption in our world. I believe that God's hand has only been strengthened and it's moving in our behalf. One thing my grandma taught me, you'll forgive me in my uh, remarks here today for some of the personal references. One of the things that my grandma taught me was that when God gives you a promise, it's not just like a golden goose egg that just shows up at your front door. It's not just a, it's not just a blessing that shows up and, and then everything works out and your life is just hunky. No, she taught me some things. She said, Chris, life is hard sometimes. But when God gives you a promise, it requires action. There's some things that you've got to fight for. There's some you can't just, when the promises of God extend upon, prophetically upon this church, it's not just for us to sit back and bask in the glory of God's revelation upon our lives. But you've got to continue to go 
go on prayer walks. You're okay with this. Is that all right? I'm just trying to agree with you in the spirit, not cast direct. You got to continue to find the face of God in prayer and travail. Come on, when the spirit of the Lord shows up like it did in worship service, we've got to invite his presence in like never before. All across our fellowship, we can't afford to come together and be amused and amazed by our wonderful giftings in music and ministry. But we've got to come and entertain the presence of the Lord. To inhabit the promises of the Lord requires action. The church has got to fight. This is how we fight our battles. Prayer is the best thing that we can do for those who are lost. Worship them. Love them. Set an atmosphere for God's spirit to move. I mentioned some names earlier. And Sister Gray, I thank you for sending me the, uh, the picture. Sister England, rather, for sending me the picture from uh, my first Mark conference and I was not far from where brother Staten is right now and I remember that picture quite well the year was 2002 I'd had the Holy Ghost for less than six months and I was standing there some 75 pounds lighter <laughs> my hair was doing all kinds of things I thought it was cool and I look back like what in the world was I trying to do <laughs> and I remember standing here and you nailed it in your analysis of the picture and I love it because in some of the pictures that were sent to me, there was me scared as all can get out. I'm praying so proper. But I can see tears streaming down my face. And in the background, I can see the man that fought for my soul, my pastor, Pastor Mooney. And she said, I can tell in this picture that you're scared because you feel something. Please forgive my emotion. I'm so sorry. You said you can feel something, but you're scared about it. I remember in that moment so vividly, even though it was 18 years ago, what I felt God doing in my life. And I felt God not just challenging me to, to, to some type of, of ministry, but challenging me to fight for the lost. pause long enough we can still hear the cry of people praying out and in fall retreats I can still hear the cry of people praying out in prayer rooms I can still hear Chet Baffert well, you know when he'd get in the vein of the Holy Ghost because his octave would go up like 10 scales <laughs> so it would, it would be part of the shrill nature of his voice piercing my soul but then it would also be the anointing at the same time but the prayer and the cover of an elder because he didn't just come to church to sit on a pew he didn't just come to touch the attendance card but he follow every service and he'd precede every service in prayer and crying out I'll never forget when I would darken the door of this that side of the prayer room in fact I could take you to the exact spot on the carpet where tears were streaming down my face and I held my cousin Brent Cunningham and I cried on his shoulder as God filled me with the Holy Ghost I can take you to places in that prayer room when my grandfather who was an engineer who was stoic in nature during worship services and you never see him show emotion but when we go brother Titus onto this side of the prayer room and nobody was around and I was seeking the face of God I can feel the weight of his body cascade upon my back I can still feel the warm tears streaming down his face as a man who is scientific in nature getting a hold of the presence of the Lord and he'd speak in tongues over my life because our elders showed me one thing about the church is it is our designation and design to fight for the lost I want to encourage somebody today one thing that Caleb points out I love how he says it I'm as strong this day as I was in the day that Moses sent me as my strength was then 45 years ago, my strength is now. The duration of the battles that we fight don't diminish the likelihood of the promises being delivered. I feel that strong. 
Some of us in this place have been fighting for lost loved ones, friends, co-workers for a mighty long time. It might have been a year. It might have been 10 years. It might have been 15. I can still remember my grandmother coming and preaching, both sets of my grandparents preaching into my life, sometimes subversively and then other times very directly. Sister Laverne, she was small in stature, but she would cut you down with the Bible in love, of course, but she'd just say, well, this is what the Bible's got to say about it. Okay, Grandma. Uh, and I can remember sometimes I'd say things that I knew would discourage her. And sometimes I would say things that would hurt her. Other times I would say things that would wound her in her heart. Sometimes I could tell Brother McFarland that before she would leave me as a teenager, she'd, she'd have a couple, a couple I'd, I'd cut into her a little bit, just keeping her at check and she'd leave just kind of defeated. But you know what I learned? Grandma would always come back to me the next time, Brother Halk, and her spiritual shoulders were squared and she was ready to go back at it again because it wasn't about me. It was about the spirit that was trying to control me. And she said, I know that spirit. I'm not going to sit idly by when my... When my God has given me some promises about my grandson, I'm here to encourage somebody right now. I know that your son or your daughter is saying things that don't reflect the faith and the doctrine in which you would put into their life. They might say things that hurt you. It might wound you. It might discourage you. But let me tell somebody right now, it's not about the duration of the fight, but the spirit of Caleb says, I'm as strong this day, Sister Killer, as I was in the day of the promise. I'm as strong this hour as I was in the day that I first heard the report. Send me into the fight. Send me into the fold. I can remember doctor's reports. I can remember doctor's reports where we were told, well, you need to look into other options in terms of starting a family. I can remember... What I felt God speaking into my life, Brother Carson, I can remember what I felt like in fall retreats and in private moments of devotion and, and conventions and camp meetings, Sunday nights, times in the prayer, brother, in the prayer room, Brother Edward. I can remember what God had put into my life, but then I can also remember the report of the doctor. I can remember what the doctors would say and how painful it was and confusing it was because I thought God gave me promise. I thought God spoke something into my life. I thought that I knew what the, what, the, what the not audible, it was a small, quiet voice spoken to my spirit. It was a promise unto me. And I can remember time and again coming down and we'd stand right here, Sister Allison, and she'd hold my hand. And Brother Carson, it was never, I could almost never even hear her voice. But Sister Mooney would slide behind us and take us by the hand week after week, month after month, praying fighting fighting you'll have to I'm so sorry I know I keep apologizing about my emotion but I'm just trying to get into somebody's spirit right now brother Christopher God's got a plan a plan he's got a plan and if he's spoken into existence and into the fold we got to fight for it it's worth fighting for the duration of the struggle doesn't diminish the likelihood of the result. There's been, a, there's been a prophecy that has been extended time and again through the generations of youth world. I'll share this because of what affection I have for youth world. I'll pause here and say this now. I know they're scattered through this building and some are on quarantine and I understand all of that. I love and will always love what youth world was, is, and will be. You said it. You never understand what it is to be a Calvary kid. That badge of, of faithfulness and loyalty. No matter where they're at. And they're spread all across this world right now. 
many of them proclaiming the gospel message. And I love and appreciate and thank this incredible youth staff. I love them. They're family to us. But there's a prophecy, and I don't know that you've heard this yet, that has been passed down through generations. Sometimes youth pastors would dream it and, some, and sometimes just reveal parts of the, of the vision. And other times it'd be youth staff. Other times it would be students through the fold and the generations and the decades of student ministry of what is youth world. And there's been a dream that has been passed down time and again. And I share this carefully, but I'd just like to share what I feel like the Lord has put into my heart on this particular message and this particular dream that has been passed down and redreamt by different people without sharing notes on it. Is that there's going to be a revival so great across our fellowship but at Calvary Tabernacle that the youth group alone will have to have service in the fellowship hall to contain the harvest of souls okay might need some help with the sound hall. there's going to be a revival so strong I'm just kidding you there's going to be a revival so strong so prolific so prophetic that the fellowship hall will not contain the harvest of souls this ranking because God's going to pour out his spirit upon all flesh there's promises brother lost there's family members that are going to be saved there's lost loved ones that are going to come And I prayed, and I fasted, and I prayed, and I fasted, and I cried out to God, God, let it be now. Let it be now. Let it be now. And I don't know that it started under the tenure of my ministry as student pastor, but it doesn't discourage me in the slightest because what I believe is the best days are yet ahead. God's going to do a great work in youth world and in the church. But this is what I feel in my heart, Brother Watkins, is all along whenever I'd hear that, share with me time and again, that's that there was going to be a harvest of new converts. But what I believe that God shared in my heart a few months ago is it's going to be, yes, some new converts, but we're going to see a great harvest of prodigals come back. Come on, it's not time to give up. It's not time to be diminishing our strength. One of the greatest tactics that Satan uses is to get the church to be tired and to be weary. But we can't give up now. It's only the time to press harder on the gas pedal because there's people that we represent. They need us to intercede. They need us to... Devin. You know who I'm talking about right now. They need us to not give up. They don't need us to give up on them. They need us to fight for them. I'll share a story. You can be seated if you want it. I'm trying to hasten to conclusion so we can have a moment in an altar call. I'll share this story carefully. Somebody so dear to me, I remember them sitting at a lunch table with them. And, and when they were close to uh, getting ready to move away and have some liberties afforded into their life, they said, Brother Barber, listen, I don't know what I believe about this. And I don't know what I believe about uh, our churches and all the, these different things. I'm trying to codify the language. And I said, well, okay, you know, I love you. And he said, well, would you love me if I, when I uh, turn 18, I start smoking cigarettes and I start doing drugs. And I start, I said, bro, you know, that's the dumbest thing. You, I'm sorry. That's the, that's the most ignorant thing, but that's just how I talk to, uh, I'm just playing. I said, you know, that's the craziest thing you could do. You know, I'm never going to agree with that. And I said, but I'm going to love you. He's, and he go to the next thing and he kept upping the ante of sophistication or perhaps his perceived darkness of that sin. And finally he got to a point where I said, just stop for a moment. Just stop for a second. I said, no matter what you do, I'm always going to love you. He said, what? I said, no matter what you say, 
no matter what you do to me, no matter how hard, Brother Robeson, you try and push me away, I will always love you. And I said, and I'm never going to stop praying for you. And this hardened teenager who was getting ready to depart and already made up in his mind he was going to engage in sin began to drip tears down his face and he began to sob openly like a child at that table. And he looked at me and he said, you would love me anyways? I said, let me tell you something. It's not just me. It's the entirety of the church. No matter what you do, he the church is never going to stop fighting for you. No matter what you say, no matter where you go, no matter what you've done, no matter how hard you kick against me, I'll never stop loving you and neither will Calvary Tabernacle. It's been some years since that conversation took place, but I still feel as strong this day to fight that fight for that young man and many others. I still feel such a challenge in the spirit, something pushing against that point. I feel the weight of a parent. Maybe it's a child and you want your parents to get back. Maybe it's not even a family member. But I feel the weight of your shoulders right now diminishing in strength. Like, I know what he's saying. And I can get behind a preacher that sows passion. But maybe this is for somebody else and it's not for me. I've been in so many of those services where I fought back the hand of God on my life because I didn't think that it could be a victory for me. Somebody right now needs to know it's not time to give up. Square your spiritual shoulders in love. Look them back in the eye across the dinner table and let them know that you care for them. The duration of the battle doesn't diminish the likelihood of deliverance. Finally, I come to this particular point, and I spoke to it at the beginning of my message, and I'll conclude with it now. In fact, if you wanted to stand with me, we'll get ready to hasten to an altar call. I told you I wouldn't preach long. In fact, it's funny, my father-in-law was watching the live stream of when we were exploring the opportunity of going to Sarah Land at Living Hope. I just can't even tell you what a wonderful church and church family we have there. We love them so dearly. And I remember my father-in-law calling me up, or maybe the next time he saw me. Brother Gwaltney, this might be one of the few times that I can publicly do this, so I'm going to just enjoy this moment. <laughs> Suffice it to say that God has given me the best in-laws. But he did call me and harass me a little bit. <laughs> and he said, Chris, when did you start preaching 15 minutes? <laughs> I said, what? He said, you only preached 15 minutes there. I said, no way. It had to be a 30, 40 minute message. He said, no, I timed it, buddy. You're, I'm rounding up. It was less than 15 minutes. I still didn't believe him and I didn't think to inquire until I was at lunch with a friend of mine at the church and they said, listen, Brother Barbara, I gotta say this. I gotta say this to you. When you came to try out, you only preached 15 minutes. He said, you haven't come close to that ever since. <laughs> oh, man, God's so good. <laughs> Forty-five years after the promise was dodged and missed and they wandered, Caleb still got fight in the tank. It's been a long time. 40 years is a long time to be curious. Maybe the promise wasn't for us. Maybe he, could have, he could have allowed all, all sorts of lies to manifest itself in his heart and into his mind. But at the end of the 45 years, when they're getting ready to pick their regions and Caleb steps to the forefront, him and Joshua are able to step into the promises of the Lord because they wholly followed the voice of God. Caleb looks at a high place called Hebron. 
Hebrew and roughly translated and many people have different impressions of what it translates to but one of the definitions I like most and they all are synonymous is a binding relationship because Caleb understood that if I'm going to accomplish the things of the Lord I need to fight for a place that will put me in covenant I need to fight for a place that will put me in a binding relationship for him Caleb understood that if I want my family to make it I need a binding relationship to him it's not about coming and, and enjoying and, and feeling the wonderful presence of the Lord and, and worship alone but it's about a binding it's a binding relationship there's some things worth fighting for there's some things worth worth it all and Caleb understood I'm going to fight for the hard land because I need a binding relationship if I could speak to the student body right now as God takes your ministries across the four folds of this world you need one thing more than anything it's not talent and charisma it's a binding relationship it's a covenant God will honor that and take you to places that you didn't dream possible because of a binding relationship. And here's what I've tried to encourage Living Hope to do as we come into church and we have great church and worship breaks forth and people dance and people shout. People have been healed well before the altar call even begins. But I'm trying to build a culture there and a mindset there that if you want the things of the Lord, sometimes you've got to press a little bit. Sometimes you've got to be willing to fight for the high ground because you need a binding relationship. Brother Henderson, I didn't ask you this. I, I should have texted you in our altar call song. If you can sing that song, you concluded with, this is how we fight our battles. I'll share just a goofy story with you and then I'll hasten to conclusion. I'm almost done. I know I asked you to stand. I'm almost done, I promise you. Thank you, brother, help me. Where's my brother at? My man. Brother Sean, we went, forgive me for sharing a sports story, but we went, we had free tickets to a practice round of a PGA event. It was awesome, man. I, I'm just telling you, I was like a five-year-old kid. I wanted to buy one of those autograph pendants. I saw these grown men that are actually younger than me, and I'm like, can I get an autograph? Can, please, sir, sir, sir. Excuse me, part. Oh, it's gone. Pardon me, sir. Uh, tried to be more gentlemanly about it until I look around, and there's all kinds of grown men trying to get autographs of these guys. And we'd sit there, and we're looking around, and I can, I'll never forget, Brother Shonk. I shared this story in Youth World a couple months ago. I'll never forget when I looked a few guys down and there was a guy that was leaning over the rope because his favorite golfer was making his way down the fairway. He says, pardon me, sir, could I get your autograph? And that golfer looked at him the way that all the other golfers had looked at us like you're a grown man. <laughs> Stop begging for my signature on a piece of cloth and, and let me just go focus on the golf round. And he looked at him and I could look at this man and it was like it happened in slow motion. And I knew some people don't like awkward moments. I love them. I, I relish in them. I can't, I, I can't get enough awkward moments in the day as long as it doesn't involve me. I like to participate. I like, it's a spectator sport. Like the state fair, you sit on the, eat your corn, the, your corn dog and you just it, watch all the awkward moments unfold. And so I knew, I felt in my spirit, wasn't the Holy Ghost, I just felt in my <laughs> intuition. This is getting ready to get good. And the man's leaning and he's yelling and then he's getting frustrated and disgruntled. And there's just a little, little uh, rope that I would liken to, to a piece of knitting yarn separating the spectators thousands of people from the fairway just a just a little rope separating them from from the the professional golfer and this man starts to look around and he's like this is all that's going to prevent me from getting an autograph and he took a step over it now he's on the fairway and he made a beeline for the golfer only to be tackled and harassed. i mean i was like this is awesome this is this is fantastic entertainment for me but it puts something in my spirit this is a horrible illustration to conclude with i understand this but give me this moment 
when I went home and I began to pray on some things, sometimes we've just got a little, a little barrier of separation between us and the Lord. If we would just get beyond what we perceive to be proper Pentecost and get back to the olden days where we say, God, I'm not going to leave this place until you get a hold of me. My grandmother taught me some things. My grandparents, the elders of this church, Stan Sleva, Mary Sleva, they taught me some things in long moments and altar calls and hour long, hour and a half long altar calls that sometimes you just got to stand in the presence of the Lord. Sometimes you've got to press through until you get a hold of glory. I want to tell some somebody one more time that it is not time to give up on your son or your daughter but would you accept my invitation into the prayer room or into the altar call or if you feel safer at your seat and press into the presence of the Lord let's fight some battles today let's win some wars today let's gain some territory from the enemy today let's sing the song brother Henderson This is how I fight my battles. Come on, if you're going to stand in the gap for a loved one, find a place that you're comfortable with. We can distance all around this assembly. Come on, if you've got a son or a daughter who hasn't been filled with the Holy Ghost. Come on, mother. Come on, father. Fight for them right now. Fight for them right now. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles.